Thanks, Hugo. Um, good morning. Um, let me get set up here. I'm packing a bigger Bible today. Okay, this is this. Trying to get used to this. Um, it's a different version. It's the Revised Standard Version from the Bible I normally use. So um, I, I thought the words in here for our passage today is, um, they're just a little bit better, I thought. And so um, this is the Revised Standard Version is what I'm using today. Um, let me start by just uh, sharing a verse with you. It's Psalm 133, verse 1. And it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, I think this is a great verse because it, it declares how sweet it is when we as Jesus' followers live in right relationship with each other and we live in harmony together. Now, I'm not a, um, a musical person, you know, Karen was talking about how worship brings her before the Lord in, in, in difficult situations and also, in, I'm, t- I'm sure, in times of praiseworthy situations. Um, and I love worship, but I am not a musical person. Um, if you've heard me sing and worship, if you ever sit next to me or been next to me when I sing, you've got to know I'm worshiping <laughs> because I don't sound good. <laughs> and so it is really... Um, from my heart. But even I know that in music, harmony, um, in harmony together as a group, doesn't just mean an absence of discord. It means working in concert with one another to produce something good and pleasant. This is something I think we see the worship team doing each week. It's working together to produce something that's pleasing to the Lord and helpful for us as a congregation. In the same way, when we live together, as the psalmist says, when we live in unity, it's not just coexisting, not just avoiding conflict. It's liking, learning to like and enjoy each other. And it's learning to live and work together for a purpose. So this is, uh, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. This verse, Psalm 133, it doesn't tell how. Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about how this happens. How, we do, how do we develop uh, that cohesion? How do we develop those relationships? We've been continuing to speak about the cultural values. Uh, the past several weeks, Pastor Corey has spoken on spirit-led sensitivity, daring openness in ministry, And today I'm going to cover what we call deep togetherness. Okay, deep togetherness. It's in your program. It's printed there at the top of your program. It'll be on the screen. And so let's read this. Uh, Let's read this definition together. Maybe it won't be. Okay, there it is. Deep togetherness means that we cultivate growing authentic relationships that bring life, hope, and healing to those inside and outside the church. Great, let's pray. Father, we gather together as a church. Lord, we gather together as your family. 
And um, Lord, I ask that um, you, Father, would uh, lead our thoughts, that you would guide my words, um, that you would help us, Lord, to, uh, to connect with you, and that you would minister to us this morning. Uh, speak to us, Lord, in any way that, that you see fit about being together and about learning and to love and to follow you together. And we pray that you would speak through your words. You would speak your words through scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before I get into this, this cultural top, this topic of deep togetherness, I want to back up just a minute and ask the question, what is culture? What is culture? So I looked this up, did a little bit of research, and I'm going to give you a technical definition a definition that um, a social anthropologist, you know, somebody who studies people and societies um, and, and ethnic groups, and something they would say. Culture is the ideals, beliefs, values, and assumptions which shape how a particular group of people thinks and lives. So you know culture. You've seen culture. Um, if you've ever traveled abroad or spent any time with, a, with an ethnic group or with a different ethnic group, uh, you know culture as the food, the language, the mannerisms, the customs, the lifestyle. All of these things are expressions of culture. They're things that have developed over time within a people group or within a group of, of people based on how they view life. And we have the same things here uh, in the U.S., things that shape us, which are part of our culture. Take, for example, the concept of time. American culture sees time as a limited and valuable resource that must be conserved and maximized. Right? We're, we're slaves to the clock and to the calendar, I'm supposed to be done preaching, preaching by a certain time, I think in about 20 minutes or so. Okay, and if I don't get done around that time, right, then it throws the, throws the whole schedule off. And everybody gets upset, and they start to, like, fidget. And, um, and, and, and that's partly the cultural indoctrination of us, of how we, how we respond to the clock and the time and our schedule and our need to... Um, to move. This is vastly different than the culture in, say, Mexico uh, or Africa um, or other places where time is thought of as somewhat unlimited. Now, I understand that may differ whether you're in a big city in those, in those countries or in the country because big cities seem to operate in a certain kind of um, similar way. But their culture would see time as different. Schedules and plans there are flexible. The pastor can preach for two hours if he wants to. Okay. Um, but in those places, a higher priority is placed on, on community and on relationship. And this drives their behavior and it drives their approach to life. Another example is the concept of self. 
right? You can think America is a, it's an individualistic culture. It's a culture where we say, you need to fight for your rights. You need to fight for yourself, right? You need to be all that you can be. Again, that's very different than the culture in, in Mexico or in Africa or, or China, for that matter, who have grown with this uh, a, a communist and a group approach to things. In these collective, collectivist cultures, a higher priority is placed on the group. And so the rights and interests of individuals takes a back seat to the welfare of the group. So can you see how culture, how culture just shapes us and how it becomes a part of us? When we talk about cultural values here in the church, okay, I hope you can see that we're not talking about ethnic or, um, or racial differences. We're talking about attributes that over time we would like to see define us as a church. There are things that, some things we do well, some things we, we don't do so well. So some of these things are aspirational. They're things that we would like to have um, be characteristic of us as God's, as God's family. And we don't want culture to just evolve here in the church. We don't want it to just happen on us. We want to create it and shape it according to God's word and according to the leading of his Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and I'll read verses 1 through 17. Colossians 3, and it will be on the screen as well. So this is the revised standard, uh, new revised standard version. So if you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear, one another, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, when we say deep togetherness, what we're really talking about is Christian unity. We're talking about unity with one another. But I like the words deep togetherness. I think on the vision team, we talk through these things, these things and, and we like the wording deep togetherness because I think it speaks to a quality and an authenticity in our relationships. So let me give you four points here about deep togetherness. The first is deep togetherness starts with having the same goal. And the goal I'm, I'm talking about is not being unified. For I think being unified is a blessing that we receive. It's part of what we receive from the goal. The goal is Christ. Deep togetherness starts with having the same goal, Christ. In verse 1, Paul tells, us, tells the Colossian church to seek the things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. He says, for you have died to the things of this earth, and your life is hidden with Christ. I think what Paul is saying here is that if you're a Christian, you should desire the things of Christ and to put your thoughts on him. His forgiveness, his love, his sacrifice, his righteousness. This is something I th- we did this past Wednesday at the concert of prayer. We spent time focusing our minds on the attributes of God and the attributes of Jesus and his, his suffering and his sacrifice. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As Christians, we have been washed in the blood of Christ. This inextricably binds us together that this has taken place for us, for those who believe. In verse 12, if you look further down, Paul specifies as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, so that we are together. Since we belong to the Lord, we should be of the same mind, the same heart, the same goal. This, I believe, is where our unity begins. The strength of a marriage relationship. You know, we had uh, a Valentine's uh, luncheon yesterday, and it was a wonderful time um, for, for the group of us there to, uh, to learn from each other and to affirm um, our marriages and our hearts for each other and our hearts and our passion for the Lord. 
But in a marriage, the strength of it depends on the husband and wife wanting the same things, pursuing the same life goals. If the two have different goals, and if they're apart in their goals, then it's hard, maybe impossible, to bring those things together, to bring their plans and their priorities together, because at a certain point, they're going to veer off or they're going to run into conflict. We, together, are children of the king. We are citizens of the same kingdom. I think this means that we should see life's highest priorities in a similar way. Someone who does not know Christ, then, cannot quite have the same mindset as someone who does. Scripture refers to that as being unequally yoked. Now, we would want anyone, I would want anyone who doesn't know Christ to be here with us, to join us in friendship and fellowship, and to be bonded with us together. Because at one time or another, we were all in the same position. Right? We were outside of Christ. And so we want everybody to come together. But more important than friendship, we want, to, we want them to be joined with us in Christ. Deep togetherness starts with having the same goal and mindset in Christ. Second, deep togetherness involves putting on the new self. Not only do we have Christ as our goal, but as we are brought together by that fact, each of us should be working on the same things. And what is that? We are to be renewed in the image of God. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Put to death whatever therefore Therefore, whatever in you is earthly. And then he gets specific. He lists fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed as some of those things that are earthly. In verse 8, he mentions anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language. Are any of these things problems for you? Because I know some are for me. In verse 10, he says that we must replace these behaviors with our new self, with the new self, our new identity. For we are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. I think one of the many blessings that comes from, from receiving Christ into our lives is this promise of change, transformation, transformation. We talk about it from time to time together. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. These are exciting words, and promise, it's a promise to hold on to. But it requires us to actually put on the new self. It takes effort to set your minds on the things above and not on earthly things. Interestingly, what I think Paul is talking about here is culture change. In verse 7, he says, 
These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life, referring to the earthly, worldly life. But because you are now in Christ, your mind and your thinking should be different. And that should result in changed behavior, change in the way we see life. I think when Christ enters in, there should be a huge cultural shift in our lives. I think this brings us together. In verse 11, and I think this is very interesting, in verse 11 of Colossians 3, he says, in that renewal, that renewal, that change that we're talking about, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, why, why is this significant? The church here in Colossae, they were like the church in the book of Acts. Right? We studied that last year. They struggled with the ethnic and cultural differences between Jewish and non-Jewish believers. They wondered, to be a believer, should everyone conform to Jewish practices like circumcision or food and dietary laws or certain celebrations? But Paul says, in Christ, we're all the same. No longer Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, we're one. I don't think that means that we're colorblind. I don't think that means not valuing ethnic diversity and uniqueness. It means as believers, we create a whole new culture together under Christ. Third is that deep togetherness requires sharing life together. We are made to be together. That should stand out in this passage. It should stand out in what you study in Scripture, that we were made to be together. We can't say that we're God's family if we don't spend time living, learning, and growing together. It may be, this may seem obvious, but I think it's a point often overlooked by believers. Because today you can watch a worship service You can hear a message online. You can do all of these things sitting at home by yourself. We also know that you can pray and you can read the Bible anytime, anyplace, which is a good thing. But somewhere along the line, I think some believers have gotten the idea that being present at church, being together as a church family, is not important. And Scripture says otherwise. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Your presence here is critical for you, And it's critical for me that you're here. We need each other because alone, by ourselves, we're not strong enough 
or capable enough to pursue Christ and to forsake the ungodly things in our lives. The world's culture will swallow us up. I think it's faulty logic. It doesn't make sense to give your life to Christ and then neglect the body of believers that he has given to us for life together. So life together. Let me give you three quick points about sharing life together. First is it takes time. And what I really mean is that it takes an investment of time. It doesn't just happen. Okay, the early church in Acts is probably, I think, the best example we have in Scripture of deep togetherness. Acts 2, 44 through 47 says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they, they spent much time together in the temple, They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, it says they spent much time together, learning, breaking bread, praying, and praising God. Here at our church at WCCC, we want to develop rhythms and routines where we do these things together. Sharing life together, secondly, involves compassion and humility. Colossians 3.12 says to clothe yourselves with these things. I think Paul calls, I think Paul specifically calls out these, some of these things because they don't come natural. Humility, indiscriminately being compassionate towards one another. Meekness. These aren't things that are taught in the business world or in business school or in life in general. They're countercultural to our world. But in Christ, they should be our, our approach to one another. Compassion and humility. Let me add two more to the list which I think are really important. Vulnerability and forgivability. I think vulnerability might be, as I thought about this, one of the most challenging ones for us. Because we're taught from a very young age, I think we're raised to never expose our weaknesses. Keep your guard up. Never let them see you sweat. But in seeking Christ and turning from our sin, we need to be willing to remove our masks and to share ourselves, our true selves, with one another. We need to be willing to ask for prayer and support for one another. We can spend a lot of time together hiding ourselves and and not really going deeper. And I don't think that's what God would want. How vulnerable we are with one another will determine the depth of our relationships. And then we need to be people of forgiveness because it's going to happen. Like all families, we are going to disagree at some point. 
We are going to butt heads. We are going to have conflict. But Paul says in verse 13, if you have a complaint, a grievance, bear with one another. Sometimes that's all you can do is bear with one another. But he says, goes on to say, and forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you. All families have disagreements, right? Everybody, everybody knows that. But those that stick together are those that can find a place of mutual grace and forgiveness. Lastly, sharing life together requires accountability. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul explains that we are members of one body, that we are responsible for each other. As such, we have a responsibility to hold one another accountable to growth and maturity for the good of our brother and sister and for the good of the body. I think this interdependence and this accountability, it's, it's a special thing. It's not meant to intrude on people's privacy. It's not meant to overstep our bounds. It's a special bond that we have. I thought about, for this message, I had thought about showing this video. Uh, I'm not going to show it, but this short video of an interview of a group of veterans from Easy Company who served together in World War, World War II. And they're being interviewed as old men 60, 70 years later after the war. Um, and they are just sharing their hearts. Uh, this story, by the way, was the basis for uh, an HBO TV series called Band of Brothers. I don't know if you remember that. It's remarkable, though, to hear them speak of the bond that they shared, their commitment to uphold and sacrifice for each other. And I think we can understand why. We can understand the battles that they went through, the suffer, suffering that they experienced, the terrible things that they saw. In many ways, I see the call to unity and the accountability in the church to be the same. Contrary to what some might think, I think the deep togetherness and accountability we share in Christ should be more like a battleship than a cruise ship. The commitment to one another more like fellow soldiers who have each other's back, who pick each other up, than fellow vacationers or country club members. One of the themes that comes out of the video was that soldiers recognized they were fighting for something much larger than themselves, something worth sacrificing their lives for. And one of the platoon leaders, he, he humbly said, I was just one small part of a big war. And this, this leads me to my last point. Deep togetherness means uniting for a purpose greater than ourselves. As usual, this is not all about us. 
The purpose of Christian unity is not just to be close and comfortable. In fact, I don't think that's what will even satisfy our hearts ultimately. God, who is great, has called us together for a grander purpose, and that is to glorify him and to bring people into worship of him. I think it was John Piper, well-known pastor and speaker, who said, missions exist because the worship of God doesn't. Our fellowship will not mean very much, and I don't believe it will go very far if it's focused on ourselves. This doesn't mean not having fun, not enjoying each other's company, not eating donuts on a string. <laughs> for those that, that was for those of you who were at the Valentine's luncheon. <laughs> It doesn't mean those things. We do those things. I think God intends for us to do those things. But it means giving glory to that which is worthy of our praise. At the end of the passage in Colossians 3 that we've been looking at, verses 16 and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The ultimate aim of Christian unity is the glory of God. Paul sums it up really well. I love this passage in Romans 15. Five through seven. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Right? There it is again. Harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We shape the culture, and the culture shapes us. Let us shape the culture of West Covina Christian Church by how we live out our faith, how we put our new self in Christ on how we share life together, and how we, with one voice, glorify God. We exist to spread a passion for God, to love each other deeply, so that he is above all else in our lives, our church, and our community. Let's pray. Father, we want to give ourselves to you. We want to give ourselves to you individually and corporately together, Lord. Help us to learn to do that. Help us learn to to love each other, to put on that bond of love, and to have compassion and humility toward one another. Help us to do that 
for people inside the church, outside the church, so that we may come together, Lord, as one, and with one voice, give you glory and sing our praises to you, Lord. Thank you for each, uh, each person here. We pray that you would um, help us to understand our role in your body of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.